0: Good morning. It's good to see you all today in the house of the Lord. The message today is titled The Pursuit of God. There's a, a method or a way of God pursuing us which we'd like to look at today but at the same time there is us pursuing after God and so last week we looked a little bit about at prayer and the beautiful privileges that God gives to us in prayer and how um, we can communicate with God. It is not just us communicating or praying and making our petitions to God, but it's also God communicating with us and having fellowship with us. And uh, let me just put a plug in again here for our early morning men's prayer group. I know some of you men, you were thinking about lunch last week and you just missed the sign-up sheet altogether when you went out. So... It's out there again in the booth, just in case you missed it last week. Um, but as we mentioned last week, prayer is not the easiest thing. It's probably one of the hardest things that we'll do in the Christian life. And so, The Pursuit of God, it's taken, I've taken the title actually from a book by a man named A.W. Tozer, who was also an Alliance pastor, Pastored in the United States for many years, but also pastored here in Toronto for some time at Avenue Road uh, Alliance Church. And um, if you haven't read his book, I would highly recommend you to read his book. It's not a, long, not a very long book, but there's a lot of beautiful truth that can be found in that, in that book. I'll give you one quote from Tozer in his book. He says, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified and happy experience by the, ch- by the children of the burning heart. So my question to you as we start off in this message is, are you the person that's the satisfied religionist, saying, I have enough of God, or I've done this already, or I've done that, this is enough? Or are you one of those children with a burning heart? I want more of God. I want to experience more of Him. I want to know Him more. I want to love Him more deeply. I want to feel His heartbeat. I want to know His will for my life. In Jeremiah 29, in verses 12 to 14, a beautiful portion of Scripture says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I think many times we seek after God but maybe not with our whole heart maybe we do it sort of half-heartedly maybe we do it just because you know we know it's the right thing to do maybe you came this morning to to church and and I'm happy that you're here but maybe we came half-heartedly oh it's Sunday I better be in church or do we come with an expectation a longing a desire to say Lord I want you I want to seek you with all my heart, because what does it say after that? If we seek God with all of our heart, it says here, I will be found of you. I will be found of you, declares the Lord. The famous Westminster Catechism has a a question, one of the, probably the most famous question in that catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's man's chief end is to glorify God, And enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. My challenge for all of us today here, including myself, is are we enjoying God? Are we delighting in God? Are we experiencing God? Are we pursuing after God? This is the pursuit of God. God is always pursuing us. And we're going to see that from the very beginning of creation. God is pursuing Man, God is pursuing humanity for an intimate and a deep relationship with him. But the question I have for us today is, are we pursuing after God? Are we longing more for him? Are we enjoying him? I would be remiss to say that you know, this week is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation on Tuesday. And um, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis on those walls in Wittenberg, if, you, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, it's a, it's a huge event in the, in the history of the church where uh, Martin Luther was not satisfied with some of the things, the rituals and the laws that were going on in the church. And he championed salvation by faith and grace alone. And he wanted to lead people into that relationship with God. He wanted to lead people to know God. Uh, there's a story of a man named Brother Yun who was a a Chinese house church leader in the early, in the 80s and in the 90s. And when he was 16, he uh, gave his heart to the Lord and dedicated his life to to Jesus because of a, a healing that his father had experienced. And he wanted to have a Bible, but they didn't have a Bible. So you know what he did? He started to fast and pray. All he ate was a small bowl of steamed rice every day, for 100 days. And he prayed and he asked the Lord, Lord, I want a Bible. And one day he had a, he had a, a vision. And in this vision he saw uh, a person with a cart of bread that was coming to him. And this person gave him a bag full of bread. And as he took that bread and put it into his mouth, all of a sudden that bread turned into a Bible. And then he woke up. And when he woke up, he was looking around to see whether that Bible was there but he heard a knock on the door, and when he heard that knock on the door, he opened it, and there was a man there with a Bible for him. And he longed, he desired for a Bible. And so when he got that Bible, even though he couldn't read properly, uh, he didn't know how to read properly, he read through the whole Bible. And after he read through the whole Bible, he started to memorize chapters in the Bible. And so in 28 days, he, he memorized all of the Gospel of Matthew see the longing the desire the hunger the pursuing after god you know we have so many uh, bibles today we have maybe so many bibles on our bookshelf and bibles on our phone and bibles on our tablets but this 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 young man wanted a bible to know god more to pursue after god now if we go all the way back to uh, to the garden if we go all the way back to Adam and Eve, when God created Adam and Eve, he, he created them to have fellowship with God, to have a relationship with God. And they enjoyed that so beautifully. We don't know for how long, but they enjoyed that beautifully until the day that sin entered in. Until the day that the devil came and tempted them and said, Did God really say you can't eat of this tree? They were allowed to eat of all of the trees that was, that was in the garden Even the tree of life that was there, remember that because I'm going to come back to it later on. But they enjoyed all of the fruit of all of those different trees, but they weren't allowed to eat of one tree. And when they did eat of that one tree, then God said, I have to cast you out. That beautiful fellowship and communion that they had with God was broken by that disobedience to God's commandment. And they were cast out of the garden. And they lost that fellowship and that communion. And from that time onwards, God is still pursuing after man to make, to bring us into a relationship with God. God is still pursuing after humanity to draw us to himself, to bring about a restoration. And that, that happened in Christ, which we'll see in, in a little while. But from the time of the Garden of Eden, when that sweet fellowship and communion was there, then it was broken. And then we fast forward some some years and then we come to Abraham. When God starts to call Abraham to himself and draws Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He tells Abraham, come out of your country from your people and your father's household. And I will give you this beautiful land and I will make your descendants like the, like the stars of heaven. And I will multiply your children. And Abraham would call on God. As God was pursuing after him, Abraham pursued after God. In Genesis 12 and verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar. He, he pursued after God. We see this throughout the book of Genesis where, where Abraham is building altars, building altars, sacrificing to God, pursuing after God. And so we see that God promised to Abraham that he would multiply his descendants. And that Abraham's descendants would be his people. Now fast forward a few more few more chapters and we come to um, to the time when Abraham's descendants, the children of Israel, are in the land of Egypt and they were in bondage there and God brings them out of the land of Egypt and brings them into the promised land. But before they get to the promised land, God tells them while they are in the wilderness to build a tabernacle to build a tent, a meeting place. Why? Because God said in Exodus 25 and verse 8, then have them make me a sanctuary or a tabernacle or a dwelling place and I will dwell among them. See the heart of God. From creation, God wanted to dwell with his people. With Abraham, God wanted his presence to be with Abraham. And then he says, make this tabernacle so that I could dwell with you. That my presence can be with you. That I can enter into fellowship, into communion with you. I want, I desire, I long to have fellowship with you. A relationship with you. And so God is pursuing. Are we pursuing back? And so they build this tabernacle. Here's a picture of maybe what it might have looked like. This tabernacle, there was different places um, in the tabernacle. And uh, you see the children of Israel, they, camp, they put their tents round about the tabernacle. Um, you see this pillar of fire here representing the presence of God over what's known as the most holy place. Um, let me show you this, this picture here. If you can just follow with me, if, maybe we'll just pick one screen here. Uh, over here, you can see here, this is the out, this is what's called the outer court. Right? And over here, this is what's called the holy place. And in here is what's called the most holy place. And this was the tabernacle that God told them to make so that they could dwell, God could dwell with his people. And in the most holy place, there was something that was very special, and this was called the Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. Symbolize God's fellowship with his people. And so when Moses came into the tabernacle, the Bible says that God spoke to Moses from between the cherubims. These two, these two, these two sculptures here are angels. They're known as, as cherubims. And God spoke to them from off the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if I go back to this picture of, of the tabernacle, it's interesting here because... In order just to get into the tabernacle, you had to be a Jew. I don't know if there's any Jews by, by blood here, but just to get into this tabernacle, you had to be a Jew. Then to get into this holy place, you had to be a priest. And so you had to be a son of Aaron, a descendant of Aaron, in order just to get into, the, into this holy place. And then to get to this most holy place, you had to be the high priest. And that was only one person. And that high priest could only go into the most holy place only once a year. And it's known as the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And he would go and make atonement for the children of Israel. Now, how would you like it if we said, look, you don't need to come every Sunday. Just come once a year to church. Right? What do you think? Right? Pastor Kevin's going to hear it from me after that. If I start telling people, only once a year, that's it. But imagine... If you could feel the presence of God only once a year, would that be enough for you? The high priest could go into the most holy place only once a year. This is where the glory of God dwelt. This is where the presence of God was. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And he could go in only once a year. How would you feel if you could only have God's presence one time in the year? I don't know about you, but that's not enough for me. I need God's presence. I need more of God in my life. Now, going into this tabernacle, as you go further in, in one sense, it's like pursuing more after God. See, the the Lord gave the children of Israel manna to eat, and manna appeared on the ground, and more than likely, there was probably manna in the outer court because it was an open area. And as they came into the the holy place, the priest coming to the holy place, there's a little table here that had bread as well. And that bread was only for the priest to eat. And of course, bread speaks of the word of God and our eating of the word of God. So in the outer court, you had the manna. In the, in the holy place, you had this bread that only the priest could eat. But then when you get into the most holy place, inside of the ark, God told Moses to take some manna, put it in a, 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 a container. And that container went into the Ark of the Covenant. And that manna was preserved. And in one sense, it's sort of like hidden manna. You'll find it in the book of Revelation as a promise to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. To those that overcome, I will give you to eat of the hidden manna. And as we're pursuing after God, you come from this, this regular manna to this, this special bread and then this to this hidden manna. In, in a similar way, the light that was seen in the, in the outer court was just natural sunlight. But then when you came into the holy place, you had the light of the candlestick, which represents the church. But when you came into the most holy place, there was no natural illumination. It was the supernatural illumination of the glory of God. The light that came from the glory of God. It was something very special. And so this tabernacle is is a picture of God's presence for us and how God wants us to pursue after him. We'll come back to this a little bit later on. But one thing that I want you to notice is... um, that in between this holy place and the most holy place, there was a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. We'll come back to that. But fast forward some more years, and let's come to to King David. Israel's greatest king. He waited for some time to become king, and finally when Saul died, David became king. And when David became king, the first thing that David did was he said, I'm going to conquer Jerusalem and make that my capital. Second Samuel chapter five. He makes Jerusalem the capital of his kingdom. The second thing that David did when he, when he got to Jerusalem, he said, bring the ark to me. Bring the ark to me. I don't care where the ark is right now, but I want the ark to come to me because the ark represents the presence of God. And God, if you want me to be king over your people, if you want me to rule, I need your presence. I need the ark close to me. I can't have the ark far away. I need God's presence with me. So when David, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, he, he brings the ark of the covenant to him. He brings it to Jerusalem. And verse 17 says, They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. You know, David was such a beautiful man because the Bible says he was a man after the heart of God. He knew the heart of God. He wanted the heart of God. And so he writes in in Psalm 27 he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, that only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Can you see this longing? Can you see this desire? Can you see this pursuit of David? I want to be in the house of God. So much so that sometime later he said, God, I'm not happy that that this ark is dwelling in a tent. I want to build you a nice big house. He longed for the house of God, for the presence of God. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do what? To gaze, to see into the beauty of the Lord. To seek him. In his temple. God is pursuing us. God is pursuing a relationship with us. But can we pray like David prayed? Say, God, I want to see you. I want to gaze upon your beauty. I want to seek you in this holy place. We, we sang some of it this morning as well. In Psalm 84, the psalmist write, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord, I wonder how many of us are like that, Lord. I want Your presence. My my soul yearns for Your presence. I long for Your presence, Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in Your house. They will they will they are ever praising You. Verse ten says, "Better is one day, as we sang. Better is one day in Your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper." In the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Dear friends, what is our longing? What is our desire? What are we pursuing after? You know, the world has so many things to offer. You know, and we, get, we get bombarded by so many things. And we, our hearts can run after so many things. We can run after this thing and run after that thing. And long for this thing and long for that thing. And our hearts are probably pulled a thousand ways. And we might want this and I want that and I desire this and I want that and we try to fill our lives with so many different things in this world. But here the psalmist longs for the presence of God. He yearns for the presence of God. Oh, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Tozer said, the yearning to know what cannot be known, to comprehend the incomprehensible, to touch and taste the unapproachable, arises from the image of God in the nature of man. Deep calleth unto deep. And though polluted and landlocked by the mighty disaster, theologians call the fall, the soul senses its origin and longs to return to its source. Does your soul yearn? Does it sense its origin? Lord, I want to come back into that relationship, that relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden. Oh, do we long for that again? Do we want that within our heart? Is there a cry from the depths of our being, from our soul? Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to seek you. Lord, I want to find you. My heart longs after you. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Is there a longing in our heart? Is there a cry within us? David Brainerd said, When I really enjoy God... I feel my desires of him the more insatiable. And my thirstings after holiness the more unquenchable. Oh, for holiness. Oh, for more of God in my soul. Oh, this pleasing pain that it makes my soul press after God, run after God, follow hard after God, long for God. Oh, that I might not loiter on my heavenly journey. Are we loitering? Are we just taking up space? Are we just taking up time? Are we just walking through this life as a uh, in this journey and not doing anything, or are we walking through this life longing for more of God, longing for His presence, longing for for more of Him? Is the desires of our heart to say, God, I want to fellowship with you, God, I want to know you more. Brainerd said in his diary on April 17, 1747, he said, Oh, I long to fill the remaining moments all for God. Though my body was so feeble and wearied with preaching and much private conversation, yet I wanted to sit up all night to do something for God. To God, the giver of these refreshments, be glory forever and ever. He longed after the Lord. He, he would spend sometimes the whole day in prayer. Are we hungering and thirsting after God? The word of God says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be satisfied. They will be filled. Are we pursuing after God with everything that we have, with with our talents, with our abilities, with our our knowledge, our wealth, uh, all the provisions that God has given to us? Are we using all of that for the glory of God? Is all of that being used to pursue after God? with all that we have, to run after him with our whole heart, to seek him with all of our hearts so that we can, we can find him and know him. There's a story of a man named Daniel who was visiting China, and he was asked what particularly spoke to him in, on that visit. And he said, probably by my visit to one particular house church, it's numbers. it numbers several hundred believers who have had a lot of persecution over the past years. I asked them how they'd been victorious and even grown in numbers during such terrible experiences. They quickly replied, telling me three things. First, obedience to the Word of God. Second, communion with God, that is, prayer. And third, love for the brothers and sisters. This group memorized one chapter of the Bible every week. They began doing this because of a lack of Bibles, but they found out it was such a great blessing to their lives. See, the hunger and thirst, sometimes because we have so much, there's no hunger there. And maybe the lack of things cause a greater hunger, a greater thirst. An organization called Open Doors, founded by by Brother Andrew, who would smuggle Bibles to different places, he, he received this note from a person in Romania in the 1980s, And this note said, in a divinely appointed network, we would receive a small number of Bibles to be distributed quietly and carefully among believers. Although the food supply was scarce, the Romanian believers treasured the word of God more than anything in this world. When asked to choose between food parcels and Bibles, every Romanian that I knew asked for food. No. Every Romanian that I knew asked for Bibles the hunger the thirst deep within the soul to know God to follow him passionately That's part of what our new mission and vision our vision statement is to, to know God and, and follow him passionately to run after him to seek him with all of our heart what are the priorities in our life What things take precedence over the things of God in our life? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, John uh, 1 and verse 14 says, The word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is, is actually tabernacle. So we can say the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came and tabernacled among us. He he lived in this world and displayed his glory. by, By tabernacling with us, he displayed his grace, his kindness, his love, his compassion, his humility, his purity, his peace. His patience, his, his goodness and mercy and all of these beautiful things that comprise the beautiful glory of God we see in Jesus. Have you tasted of the goodness of God? Has it satisfied you? Tozer said, oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. Lord, I've tasted of your goodness, Lord, it is satisfying, it is amazing, it is wonderful, but I am thirsty for more. Lord, that is not enough for me. I thank you, God, for what I've experienced, but I want more. I want to know you more, I want to love you more, I want to enjoy you more, I want to know your presence in my life more. And the climax of God's glory displayed to us was the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary, now, I'm going to go back to the garden, and I'm just going to show you something very quickly. Going back to the Garden of Eden, after, they drove out, after God drove out man from the Garden of Eden, what did he put? I'm going to ask for your participation here, okay? So what did he put in front of the Garden of Eden? A cherubim, right? A flaming sword and a cherubim that was there. The cherubim was there to block the way So that they couldn't come back into the garden and eat of the tree of life. God said, you can't eat of that tree of life. You can't have that aspect of life anymore because you've sinned. You've disobeyed. That relationship is broken. So I'm putting this cherubim here in this flaming sword and say, hey, you cannot come here. Right? Then when they made the tabernacle, right? Remember there was that veil that I told you that separated the holy place from the most holy place? So that veil, it says here in Exodus 26, they made a curtain of blue and purple and scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen with cherubims that were woven in there. So these cherubims were embroidered into that veil. So when the high priest would come, or or, or the priest would come into the holy place and looking into the most holy place where the presence of God was, what was blocking their way to the most holy place? That veil. But what were they seeing in that veil? Cherubims. Maybe it reminded them of the Garden of Eden, the fall of man. We lost that relationship with God. We can't have that. Only the high priest once in a year, and he goes in fearing and trembling if I'm going to come out even alive out of this place. And this veil, it separated the holy place from the most holy place. And so if you can see this veil here, you can see there was these cherubims that were embroidered into that veil. But then fast forward now. This is the good part, okay? Fast forward all the way over to Jesus dying on Calvary for you and for me. Dying for the sins of mankind. Taking upon him the sins of the whole world. Giving us redemption so that we can have eternal life. Restoring fellowship with us and God. Taking away sin that blocked us between God. Taking away all of that, what happens? As he's there in Matthew chapter 27, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, what happened? The curtain or the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom. It was torn to show that now there was a way into the most holy place. And who was on those curtains? Those cherubims were on those curtains. And that veil was torn. And so in Hebrews chapter 9, we see a beautiful picture. The author of Hebrews talks about how Jesus, as that high priest, went into that most holy place, not with the blood of animals, but with his own blood, to offer redemption for mankind. So that we can once again have fellowship and communion with God. So that there could be a restoration of that relationship that was broken. And so Jesus went into that most holy place. And he's doing all of this. Why? Because he is pursuing us. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He's pursuing us. So he does all of these things. He goes into the most holy place. And he he offers a sacrifice. His own blood for us. Hebrews 9 verse 14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience God is there to purify us. And in Hebrews chapter 9, he talks about how he'll, he'll put this law into our minds and he'll write it upon our hearts. And he says there in verses 10 to 12, he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Jesus went into that most holy place to bring us back into relationship with God, to restore what was lost. And in Revelation chapter two, in verse seven, speaking to the church in Ephesus, he says here, whosoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give what? The right to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden that they weren't allowed to eat anymore because that cherubim was blocking the way. And in, in the tabernacle, they saw those cherubim blocking the way to the holy place, most holy place. But then Jesus comes along and says, forget all this, I'm gonna die, and I'm gonna offer my blood. And now I want my people to come, as the word of God says, come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Come boldly to the Lord, have fellowship with God, have a relationship with God. And he says, I'm gonna give to eat of you the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. There's even more to come. We can taste of the Lord right now, but dear friends, can you imagine the day when we see God face to face? Can you imagine the day when we enjoy, when we step out of this world and into eternity and enjoy that celestial air that we enjoy seeing our Savior Revelation 22 and verse 2 talks about how, how that uh, tree of life is in the, in the, in the midst of, the, of that city and the leaves are there for the healing of the nations. When God created Adam and Eve, he wanted a fellowship, a relationship with them. But disobedience, sin came and that was broken. But now God offers to us the opportunity to have a relationship with him. And I just want to encourage you today Maybe you feel like you've, not, you've never tasted of that relationship with Christ. I want to encourage you today to give Jesus a try. To taste and see that the Lord is good. To know who Jesus is. And maybe, maybe you say you're walking with the Lord but that, that hunger, that desire, that longing, that passion, that, that pursuit is not in me right now. Well, come to the Lord today. Let today be a difference in your life. We'll have people up here uh, for prayer after the service and maybe you'd like to come and pray with one of them and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to long after you. I I want to know what the psalmist felt when he said, one day in your courts is better than a thousand else. I want to know what it is to to desire after you, to long after you, to know you. And then in Revelation 21, we see this beautiful verse In, in speaking of eternity. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's, dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God can you see the way that the story is woven from the time of Genesis in, in with Adam and Eve and God wanted them to be his people and fellowship with them, but that was broken so then he calls Abraham out and he says I'm going to make of your great nation and your descendants they're going to be my people And then it comes to the tabernacle and says, these are my people, but we have these different things we have to do. And then Jesus comes and says, I'm going to tear this veil in two, and I'm going to allow people to come into that most holy place to fellowship. Colin read the verses before in Philippians chapter 3. But they're beautiful verses that express the desire of the Apostle Paul when he said, it's not that I have already attained, but I follow after. I press towards the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, that doesn't sound very appetizing. But this is Paul's desire. I want to know you, God. Not that I've already attained all these things. No, there's so much more for me. There's so much more that I'm longing after. There's so much more that I'm running after. There's so much more of you that I want to experience. So what should we do? Don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied. But be like the Apostle Paul says, I'm running. I'm longing. I'm forgetting what's behind. And I'm reaching forth to that which is before. I'm running this race. I'll just close with a, with a story. You might have heard this story before. And it's a story that was made into a movie in the early 80s. And it's called Chariots of Fire. It's a story of a man by the name of Eric Little. And uh, he, was, uh, he was born in 1902 to Scottish missionaries in China. And he was blessed by God to be able to run fast. And he was one of the fastest athletes at the time. And uh, in the 1924 Olympics, which were in Paris, it was uh, the 100 meters was Eric's best event. But what happened is that the heats for that race ended up being on a Sunday. And he had his own personal conviction. I should not run on a Sunday. That's the Lord's day. And he said, I'm not going to do it. And there was a big uproar, and newspapers wrote about him and and said all sorts of bad things about him as well because he wouldn't run on a Sunday. He ended up changing his race to the the 400 meters. And before he ran that 400-meter race, Somebody came up to him with a piece of paper that was written, 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. He that honors me, I will honor. He won that race. He won the gold medal. He got a world record as well. Because his passion and his desire and his priorities was to please God. My challenge to you, dear people of God today, what are the priorities maybe that are taking us away from pursuing after God with our whole heart? What are the things in our life that's crowding our life, that's taking us away from running after God with all of our heart? God is pursuing us. We can see see it clearly through the story in the Bible from, from creation till now. God is pursuing us. He longs for us. He wants to have a relationship with us. But are we pursuing Him? Are we running after Him? Are we longing for more of him. The worship team is going to sing this song called One Desire.